Amen. So we're in the book of Ephesians. And before I take off, the Pharaoh Cattle Company bull sales always on the eve of the sale, whether it be Colorado, Alabama, Montana, Nebraska, Texas, they always have a speaker come. And it'll be on rotational grazing. It'll be on minerals. It'll be on different kinds of grass. And it's usually a pretty renowned speaker. They don't have somebody come in from a mineral company and tell you why their mineral's the best. They have somebody that's very neutral. But this year was somewhat different, Brother Bob. When they sent out the email to us, 30 producers that produce bulls for them, They said this year's pre-sale meeting will be a meet and greet. Our customers will come and meet and greet. We will greet the customers as cooperative producers. I didn't know how that's going to go and I didn't know what I thought of that. But we gathered at Colorado and Kit got up and he began to introduce all the cooperative producers. And we just simply told our name. We just simply told where we was from. We just simply told the breeds that we bring to the table. And it was pretty interesting for them to get to hear that. Most of us know one another in that, even though we're scattered all over about 14 or 15 states. But when it come time for the customers that we didn't know, they all got to stand up, tell their name, and they all got asked the same question. And that question that they was asked was, what's your unfair advantage? What is your unfair advantage. Now look here. We always talk about our disadvantages, don't we? But what Kit's good at is making people think. And see, what he was doing is, we all think we have a disadvantage in the cattle business that somebody else has an advantage. I'm guilty. See, anytime I go to Colorado and they say, look at that lush grass, and I look out there and it ain't no taller than that right there, I say, that's lush grass. It is in Colorado because I'm going to tell you, cow takes a bite of that, it's got some power and it's got some punch. And if you didn't know it, most of us Okies would trade our big old tall grass that looks so good, we'd trade it in a minute for some of that short grass that's got some power And it's got some punch. Let me tell you the bulls that's led the way in Colorado the last two years. They come from me. And that's not because I got better genetics. It's because they was raised on sorry tall grass that's full of water. And they have to eat so much of it. Their guts stretch to get the nutrients. But when they arrive at Colorado, they got a big old belly. And they get a bunch of grass where them other stomachs are still shrunk. But mine get a full belly of that grass with some power and punch, and they explode. So when I'm in Colorado, 
I'm always thinking about my little disadvantage of our sorry grasses. But let me tell you what happened. Back in the work days, when I was in Colorado, I spent about four days there. And at the end of every long work day, I loaded up with Tyson, which is Kit's boy. And we went over 4,000 acres, and we had to check every water tank after a long day. We don't have check water in Oklahoma very often. And let me tell you what I thought. I've got an unfair advantage is I don't have check water every day. So what I'm saying is... What I thought was a huge advantage out there, guess what? It comes with some disadvantages. And what they think is some disadvantages, advantages down here, when they get down here, they say, hey, them folks down there's got some advantages. See, you go to Alabama, they've got a growing season that's almost 12 months a year. How would you like to have a growing season 12 months a year? And see, what Kit was trying to do is, what's your unfair advantage? And I listened to lots of customers in Colorado talk about their unfair advantage. And man, they was broad. And I've been driving to Lettahatchee, Alabama, and I thought to myself, I'm surprised nobody said my unfair advantage because there's a lot of great Christian people, and that's one of the things I love about going. I can find out whether they're Christians or whether they're not, and I can plant some seeds, and I'm talking, I love it. And I just got thinking on the way to Lettahatchee. I can't believe when Kit asked so many of them, what's your unfair advantage? I never heard once the Lord Jesus Christ. You want me to give you your most unfair advantage here tonight? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not short, stout grass. It's not deep, flowing waters. It's not a long growing season in the south. The most unfair advantage any of us have, whether it's the cattle business, real estate business, carpenter business, the most unfair advantage any of us have is if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we've just got an advantage that is so unfair to those who don't know Him. And so tonight, something to chew on. Have you ever thought about your unfair advantages that you have in Christ? They're spelled out just a little bit in Ephesians, beginning in verse 5. When I begin to think about my unfair advantage in Christ, I had to think about my past is gone. In verse 8, it says, For you were once in darkness, but now are light. Now, I don't know about you guys, but let me just tell you something. Working in the dark is a disadvantage. It's not an advantage. And I want you to know something. A few weeks ago, this daylight saving times, you talk about throw me for a loop this year. Saturday, the day that the clock set back, I'm headed to Burlington, Colorado. Not only at midnight do I got to roll my clock back an hour, but I just entered mountain time zone. It's already rolled back an hour. So you think this old cowboy wasn't messed up at 3 o'clock on Sunday morning when it should have been 5 o'clock? Man, I was wide awake in a Best Western motel and I was watching Paw Patrol at 3 o'clock. All I knew to do is to get out my phone, take a video and send it to TL and Monty June just to let them know what their passport was doing at 3 o'clock in the morning 
Man, it just throwed me for a loop. And none of us like, I don't think, this getting dark so early, do we? And it's just a disadvantage for what we do. But I want you to think about it. I did. For 30 years, I was in the dark. I was working in the dark. Thank God one Tuesday morning, I got an unfair advantage. I got the Lord and my past walking in darkness. That's over. Now I walk in the light. Now, let me tell you about the big deal about getting out of darkness and into light. You can get your fears replaced with faith. See, now, Trey, or Trenton probably don't appreciate me telling this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When he was a little guy, him and Miss Ashley, it never bothered Trey much. But Trenton and Miss Ashley, if I realized I forgot something in the truck and it was dark, you'd just sure to have to whoop them to get them to go get it. Because they was scared. They had a fear of the dark. And folks, spiritually speaking, that's really all of us. Because spiritually, we walked in the darkness and there's a lot of stuff to fear. Remember death? Remember disease? Remember before you walked in the light, you would think about that and you didn't have faith and it wasn't good. But once you got saved, guess what? You can think about death. You can think about disease. But now you walk in the light and your fear has been replaced with faith. But let me tell you something else about this unfair advantage of the light. Not only does it help us replace our fear with faith, but listen, where we've been falling, stumbling, now we can stand firm. I began to think about my 30 years of running in the dark. And boy, I had some falls now. But I thought in particular about when I wasn't in the seed stock business, me and Scott Ogilvie got in the bucking bull business. And one night down at Murphy at Stamper Ranch, on a 20, 25 degree night, we was bucking some of those bulls. And it come time to load them up. Colonel Ogilvie went and started the truck. But for some reason, he forgot to set the emergency brake. And when the bulls began to run on, I watched the truck begin to roll away from the loading chute. And I looked at Ogilvie and I said, you set the emergency break and he said don't look like it that's just him and I said no it don't and I took off running jump over the fence and we could uh, bulls were scattering all over the Stamper Ranch's driveway and we got them all back in but there was something funny about it there was one high horn brindle nobody wanted to get in front of because he'd just soon hook you look at you and he went right down the driveway right out to Murphy Road, right across the road, and found himself in Lawrence Perkins' apple orchard. It's 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's dark, and they said, are we going to go get him? I said, we got to go get him. And we got down there at that house. We couldn't see him. It was dark. But we could hear him tearing the apple trees up, hooking them. Somebody said, should we make up Lawrence, wake Lawrence up? I said, I've watched Lawrence. I don't think he can help us much. I love Lawrence, but I don't think he can help us much. I said, we'll just use his pins. We'll just get the bull into the pen. Somebody said, how are we going to get the bull in the pen? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm going to run around there. It's dark. 
I'm going to run around there and make sure the crowd's open. And I took off running as hard as I can run in the dark. I wasn't real familiar with Lawrence Parkins' yard. And i tell you what I found he had out there running as fast as I could. It was dark. I found a cement picnic table. And when I run into it, it did not budge. And I, to me to tell you I stumbled and I failed is an understatement. Now let me tell you something. I wouldn't have done that in the light. When I think about that story I just told you, I spent 30 years, spiritually speaking, doing a lot of stumbling and a lot of falling because I was running in the dark. Thank God for the unfair advantage because now I don't stumble and fall near as often. Why? Because I'm not running in the dark. I'm running in the light. What an unfair advantage we have because our past is gone, the darkness is gone, and the light is coming. All God's people ought to be saying amen and amen. But unfair advantage, I want you to think about it. Not only our past is gone, if you listen and say I am, but our position is great. Look what it says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Look at the rest of that verse. In the Lord. Talked about it this morning. You want me to tell you your position when you was lost and undone? You was a child of the devil. You want me to tell you your position now that you're saved? You're a child of God. And what an unfair advantage it is to have God as our Father. What a disadvantage it is to have a father like the devil that doesn't want to do nothing other than steal, kill, and destroy you. So, man, we've got a position that is great because we're no longer a child of the devil, but we are a child of the Father. We'd all do well to be reminded of what the mama told the young lady before she'd go out on a date. She'd say, now you need to remember, sis, you need to remember whose you are. She said, I'm yours, mama. And mama'd say, no. Oh, I'm daddy's. Mom would say, nope, you belong to Christ Jesus. Just remember when you go out tonight, sis, remember whose you are. I don't think that's just good advice for a teenager dating. I think that's a good advice for every one of us within an earshot of my voice is for us to remember when we go out into a lost and dying and a dark and a damned and a doomed world, it'd be a real good thing to remember whose we are. And whose we are is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a child of the King. What an unfair advantage because our past is gone. Our position is great. But thirdly, what an unfair advantage because our performance is guided. Now, I say our performance is guided. Have, have I told you guys what happened at Burlington? Did I tell you that daylight savings time and, 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 and that mountain time? That I, I tell you, I just couldn't sleep. 
And Tuesday morning rolled around. And, and I mean, I'm wide awake, 3.30 in the morning. And listen, I've got 24 bulls to load on a trailer. Some of them's got to be dropped off at Pratt, Kansas to certain customers. Some of them's got to be dropped off at Springfield, Missouri to certain customers. Some's got to be dropped off at Fulton, Mississippi to certain customers. And some's got to go plumb to let a hatchie to be picked up at the next sale. And so it's vital when I load these 24 bulls that I have the names of these customers and I can call them as the delivery boy and I can tell them when their bulls have arrived at the drop points. Are you with me? So I get up and I go to Burlington Livestock Exchange. I'm the only one out there fixing to load bulls 24 head about 4.30 in the morning. And all I could think of is I drove old Big Bird all the way out there. And all I could think of is I don't want to check the oil. And I could hear my eldest boy saying, you don't ever check the oil on nothing. One of these days you're going to blow something up. And I, you know, most of the time that's the boys listening to their dad's voice say, you ought to change the oil. But in this case, it's the dad hearing the boy's voice say, you need to check your oil. I don't know what. And so I'm blaming this on Trey. I decided I better check my oil. And I popped the hood on old Big Bird. I had the light on on my phone. I pulled the dipstick out. And when I seen the oil level was okay, I laid that cell phone on that driver's side tire. I put the dipstick back in it. I got an old Big Bird. I backed it up to the loading chute. And it took me about two hours to go down three different alleyways that was 14 pins deep and find the 24 bulls. And check and double check that I had the right. You know, it's a sickening feeling to get 100 miles down the road and realize you got the wrong bull on. So, I mean, I checked and double checked. And when I got them all loaded, it was just getting daylight. And I thought, I better call them and tell them I'm loaded. I remember the last time I had that phone. And I remember laying that phone on the top of the driver's tire. And so as I began to leave this pens, I prayed diligently. Lord Jesus, if you see it fit, may that phone have fell to the side. And not just rolled under the tire. And when I got over there, I seen that phone. And I reached down and got it, and God didn't see fit to answer my prayer how I wanted to. When I turned that phone around, I've never seen a more mangled up screen in all of my life. And there's days that I would love for that phone to look like that. There's days I'd love to toss that phone up like a football and just kick it as far as I can. But on a day and time where i got 24 bulls on and I've got to call 24 customers and I really don't know where I'm going, I really wanted that phone. And tell you how dumb and outdated I am, I thought it's no big deal. I'll just stop at a pay phone before I get into those towns. When's the last time you've seen a pay phone outside the 7-Eleven? I thought, you idiot. Myself, not you guys. I thought, you idiot. You may not like to talk on them, but when you got 24 head of bulls on, and you've got to make contact with the customers, and you can ask Siri where this livestock market is and where this address is, boy, it's sure good to have that GPS on that phone. Isn't it good? And isn't it something that we have such an unfair advantage? Even when the phone's just tore up, messed up. We've got a built-in GPS before GPS was ever cool. God wants to 
guide our performance. And we've got a built-in GPS in that of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen. What an unfair advantage. Now listen to this. When you've got a built-in GPS in the Holy Spirit, look here. It will complement the Holy Spirit that's in you. Now look at verse uh, verse 8. Walk as children of light. Now verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Can I remind you that the previous chapter ended in talking about grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit? I reminded you that last week. And we often preach and teach about grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. But if you're really listening to that built-in GPS, you won't have to worry about quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. You'll complement the Holy Spirit. Isn't it something we can point out those who grieve and quench it when they don't keep themselves unspotted from the world? But we need to start realizing, hey, there's people that's not grieving and quenching. They're doing better than that. They're complementing the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jay Rogers, he's one of those guys, kind of like Jake I preached about last week. When I got to Letahatchee, I made the phone call to Doug. I said, my bulls from Burlington are unloaded. He said, we're eastbound down and loading up and trucking. We're headed there. We'll be about two hours out with the Texas bulls. I said, I'll wait for you. I said, who's hauling the bulls? He said, me and Big Jay Rogers. And I thought, Jay Rogers, he probably won't remember me. But he's the one, when I told him my dad was dropping some bulls off at the Armitage Ranch when Mike, or, or when Dad didn't go, Eli did, and O.J. Rogers is the one that got out and looked old Eli over, and he said, how old's this guy that owns all these bulls? Because he thought Eli was my dad. He wanted to know who this guy was that was advanced in years when it come to producing bulls. And since then, he had hauled a couple of loads. And when Jay Rogers bailed out of that big old white Peter built down there at Letahatchee, Alabama, he come over there, and I was wondering if he'd remember me. And listen, he's from the South. I'm not Mr. Pierce. How's it going, Mr. Rob? I said, it's going good. I said, I know better than to tell you, Mr. Jay that I hauled the bulls from Burlington because I didn't haul them according to you. <laughs> he laughed. He said, you carried them. See, we haul bulls up here, but down north, we call them Mr. Pierce, Mr. McNeely. But down there, you're Mr. Marty, I'm Mr. Rob. And down there, you don't haul the bulls, you carry the bulls. I thought, man, you don't get near as tired if you haul them. You're tired when you carry them. But he's just one of those guys, and let me tell you something, he's just like Jay. He's just one of those guys, when he gets out, no matter what the situation is, let me tell you what, he compliments life. And as Christians, when we have Jesus, we've got a GPS, a built-in Holy Spirit, and we ought not be quenching Him. 
We ought to be complimenting Him. They ought to see Jesus all over us. And all God's people ought to be saying amen and amen. But then when we walk as children in the light and He's guiding our performance, listen to this, we confirm God's holy will. Look at verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. We find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen to me. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I've said this before. It's just reasonable that we live for the one that died for us. That's just pretty reasonable, isn't it? And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to this. That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I, I hope you get this tonight. Because you may be one of them that, that has partially drove me crazy. I know it was a short drive. But listen. One of the things that drive me crazy is when somebody says, I just don't know what the will of God is. I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. I want you to look up here. If you are no longer in darkness and you are walking in the light, you are in the Lord. Are you with me? And you're letting Him guide your performance through His Holy Scriptures and His Holy Spirit. Let me let you in on something. If you're doing that, you're in the will of God. Did you realize that? People's always, I just don't know what the will of God is. Just let Him guide your performance. Just line up with the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You'll be in the will of God. And, and listen, the will of God may change next week from what it is this week. But I promise you, when you walk in the light, you will compliment the Holy Spirit, but you will confirm God's will for you because if you're walking in the light and you're in tune and in touch with God, guess where you're at? In the will of God. That's how you find out what the will of God is, is you walk in the light. And then thirdly, when we walk in the light as children of God, we do what the commands of the Holy Word says. Why do we call Him Lord, Lord and not do what He says? Isn't that a bothering verse to you guys? Luke 6, 46. Why do we call Him Lord? He's the one that asks the question. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you? And when we're walking in the light, we'll be doing what He tells us. I'm not saying we don't stumble every once in a while, but for the most part, we will be doing exactly what He commands us. Look at verse 11. First thing He's going to tell us is, we refrain from unrighteousness. Now pay attention to this. We will follow the commands of God, and the first thing we do is we refrain from unrighteousness. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, for it is shameful... To even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You know what he's saying? There's certain things that you've done before you come to the light, before you was a child of the devil, and now you're a child of God. And guess what? Now you've got to follow my commands and you refrain from unrighteousness. Do you understand that? 
And when we're walking in the light and this built-in GPS, the Holy Spirit, we refrain from unrighteousness. But watch what we do. We also reprove unrighteousness. Now look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We have no fellowship, but that don't mean isolation. But rather, listen to it, but rather expose them. Expose them. And then it says in verse 13, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Now I want everybody to look up here, and I want you to listen, and I want you to get what God just told you and I. If we're going to walk in the light, we're going to compliment His Holy Spirit, we're going to confirm His holy will, but we're going to follow the commands of His holy word. And when we follow the commands of His holy word, we refrain from unrighteousness. But He just said, we reprove unrighteousness. We expose it. Now the world says, don't you judge. I'm not the judge, and we shouldn't judge. Now wait a minute. Do not judge lest you be judged in the same way. Folks, this stuff, do not judge. My Bible says if we judge one another, we wouldn't be judged with the world. Wait a minute. Does the Bible contradict itself? It does not, folks. When it tells you and I not to judge, it says you don't be judging Lest you be judged. In other words, if you're going to judge somebody, you better do the right thing. And it's judged by thus saith the Word of God. Not your opinion. And if you want to go and you want to judge somebody, and you ought to, because when we judge one another, we won't be judged with the world. Just be sure you're judging with the right judgment. And that's the Word of God. And if you're going to judge with the Word of God, you're going to be judged back by the Word of God. The Word of God does not tell us not to judge. It tells us judge with the Word of God. And if we judge with the Word of God, we better be ready to be judged back with the Word of God. Is that clear? You want me to give you a case in point that we are to judge? We as light are to expose the darkness. Do you want a verse? Do you want a man? His name is John the Baptist. And let me tell you, he had a built-in GPS. He even knew in his mother's womb when Jesus was in the house. He had a built-in GPS. He was in tune. He was in touch. He walked in the light. He complimented the Holy Spirit. He knew the will of God. He was the forerunner. He wasn't the one, but he was speaking of the one that was to come. So you guys let this world go tell Johnny B that he's not supposed to judge. Because I'm going to tell you what he done. He was the light. And let me tell you what he done. He exposed the darkness. Didn't he? Didn't he? There was a politician in that day. He was having a, an affair with his brother's wife. Now what do you think the world that wants to be so politically correct would do with this guy that is the light, John the Baptist, 
Don't you judge. He went and exposed. Called Herod out for having his brother's wife. Now what would he do when... I mean, i tell you what he'd hear in this day and time. Don't you be judging. <laughs> I've got the Word of God. And the Word of God says what he's doing is wrong. And John didn't have no backup. Because he figured out he's supposed to expose the darkness. That's what light does. But he was doing it according not to his opinion, folks. He was doing it according to thus saith the Word of God. But write this down. Before you can reprove unrighteousness, you've got to refrain from unrighteousness. The problem is, too many that's not refraining from unrighteousness are the ones that want to reprove unrighteousness. And then that just causes a big... I don't know what it just causes a big I'm better than you, don't you judge me. But when we take the Word of God and we refrain from unrighteousness, then we are qualified to reprove and expose unrighteousness. Sometimes we got to dig a little deeper in some verses that the world tells us means this when it really don't mean that. I'm pretty sure John the Baptist was in tune and in touch, and I'm pretty sure our day and time he would have been accused of judging Herod, but he was just exposing Herod, and he made that call from thus saith the Word of God. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen and Amen. Just don't ever forget to reprove unrighteousness. You first got to refrain. From unrighteousness. And all God's people said. And lastly, and I'll be through. An unfair advantage is. Remember the plea from God. Now I want you to look at verse 14. And it starts out with. Therefore he says. Now if I was an English teacher. And I'm not. I'm still in need of being taught. What tense is that in? Therefore he said would be past. Wouldn't it? So to me, and I'm not an English teacher, therefore he says seems to me to be present. Does it anybody else? Let me tell you, I thank God that we've got a living Savior. Because if I was some part of some religion, that would have to read, He once said. Because see, now He's dead. So all that could say is, He once said. He once said. I don't care what religion it is in the world, that can't be said of them. Do you realize we've got a living Savior? Therefore, He says. He's alive, He's well, and that's present. Does that mean He still pleads and talks to His children? I'll answer you that for you. Yes. Therefore, He says. And you know what He says? Every time we gather, look at it. Therefore, He says, Awake! You who sleep. 
You know what God is pleading for right now? You know what He's pleading, born again, children of God to do? He's pleading for you to wake up and realize you got the biggest unfair advantage that anybody could have because you have Him and you've fallen asleep and the world's going to hell all around you. And He says today, Hey church, wake up! Presently, therefore, he says, awake. But then look in there. What else does he say? In this pleading, he says, awake, or, or he says, arise from the dead. Not only is there a God who pleads for his children to wake up, he's pleading for the lost to get saved. Because before you're saved, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. And He's saying, Arise, you who are dead. Aren't you glad God hadn't give up on the church that's went to sleep? And He is presently pleading for us as children of God, Wake up. And aren't you glad that His ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear? Aren't you glad His hand is not shortened, that it cannot save? Aren't you glad He is still pleading for those that's lost and undone and hell-bound? to arise from the dead and be saved. That's pretty good stuff, folks. But when you hear this plea, it's going to make you better in three areas. Watch this. You'll walk like Jesus. Look at verse 15. See then you walk circumspectedly, not as fools, but as wise. Boy, I tell you what, Facebook's got some great advantages for riding with Rob. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes I've got to really not bite my lip, but bite my fingers because of so-called Christians in their post. I saw one the other day that had... Christian family pulled in, hauling hay, had a 24, 32 foot trailer and pulled in and there was a car that was getting gas from one of the pumps that offered gas and diesel. That ain't no big deal to me. But how big a deal it was to this Christian family? My daughter said we ought to slice their tires. And my husband said we ought to rip their front bumper off when we pull out of here. And then all of these comments. Isn't it something? 60 comments or something like that. I hate people that pull in and get gas when there's diesel there. They need their front bumper ripped off. They need their tire slit. Do you know how I had to bite my fingers? I just wanted to pose a question. And you claim to be a Christian?
I think if they was really in tune and touch, they might have heard a plea from heaven. Wake up. It ain't no big deal to have to set at a pump a little bit longer to get fuel. Come on, that stuff drives me crazy. You ought to think about what you're saying and what you're walking, and you ought to think about what you're typing on your Facebook page. Because I don't think we're only going to be accountable for what we said, as the Scripture says. I think we might be accountable for what we typed. God help us. And when we hear a plea from heaven, I promise you it'll help us walk more like Jesus. See that you walk circumspectedly and not in the darkness but in the light. But then look here. It'll have you witnessing like Jesus, not just walking like Jesus. When you are in tune and in touch and you have the unfair advantage. Do you remember when Jesus, when Martha and Mary said, Hey, Lazarus is sick. And everybody thought he was late. You know what? He knew right when he needed to get there. And that's when he got there. Remember when he told his disciples, I got needs to go through Samaria. And when he did, guess what? He met a woman at the well. And guess what? She got saved. She got delivered. Look here. Look at verse, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let me tell you what we ought to be doing. We ought to be in tune and in touch. And we ought to be realizing, as Brother Harold tells us, there are appointed times and there are appointed places. Therefore, we'd be witnessing like Jesus if we was really hearing the plea. How many times does He want to send us to someone or put us in front of someone? Come on. But then lastly... When you hear this plea from heaven, you'll walk like Jesus, you'll witness like Jesus, but you'll have the wisdom of Jesus. Look down there, it says, Therefore, verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I know it's 10 o'clock, but listen. Oh, it's just 7.30. I'm reading all this stuff and I'm studying all this stuff and I left on a Saturday. I made it to Colorado. I spent a couple of days there and it seemed like a long ways and a long few days to wait for another bull sale and then come back this way. You with me? But when I got to meet all these people, Bob, and I began to think about it, and I'm just going to tell you, you may not realize it, but this old preacher gets homesick probably more than anybody within the sound of my voice. But I'm going to tell you what I prayed a short time after I got saved. I'm going to read it to you, and you can read it in First Chronicles chapter 4. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. Now listen to what Jabez done. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand 
would be with me. Look here. Bless me. Enlarge my territory. And that your hand would be with me. That you would keep me from evil. Sounds like a James 1.27 guy, don't it? That I may not cause pain. Now watch this. So God granted what He requested. I got saved. I run on to that prayer. God, bless me. God, enlarge my territory. God, put your hand upon me. God, keep me from evil. God, don't let me cause no one pain. And if you'd grant that to Jabez, I just a baby in Christ, I say, would you grant it to me? I had my mentor, Brother Marty Brock, praying that same prayer for me. And let me tell you what he done ministry-wise. Before I was ever a ministry, he began to put his hand on me. He began to enlarge my territory. I spoke at Oklahoma City, had to catch a plane to St. T. Quebec, Canada. Listen to me. He began to put his hand on me. He began to enlarge my territory. He began to bless me in ways that I couldn't even imagine. Are you listening to me tonight? And the next year, I wasn't just in the top 15. I was number one. He didn't do it ministerial, ministerial speaking. He done it in the roping world. And now all these opportunities to speak in Louisiana, all these opportunities who I would stand in front of the meet and greets, all these opportunities, I'm getting a little homesick. And God just reminded me, you asked me to do something one time, boy. You asked me to do something one time, boy. You asked for my blessings. You asked for my hand. You asked me to make it bigger. You've asked me to keep you from evil. You've asked me to keep you not cause anybody pain. And I granted it to you, and I'm still granting it to you. And I begin to think about I sold forty three bulls in this sale. They went to all the all over the United States. He ain't only enlarged my territory speaking and ministering, rodeoing, but in the seed stock business. And he just reminded me, I'm still honoring and I'm still granting you what you requested. See, the will of God sometimes changes. But here's what he spoke to me. Don't you ever forget, as I bless you and I enlarge your territory, Don't you ever forget. Keep the temporary and the eternal separated. Don't get caught up in the roping. It's all right to rope, but make sure you're ministering as you rope. Don't get caught up in the bulls. It's all right to have the bulls. Just minister while you sell the bulls. I've enlarged your territory. I've blessed you. 
But don't you forget this. Keep your wisdom. Because look here. We are no fool to give up what we can't keep. To gain what we cannot lose. Folks, one day the gold buckle, the paintings, the saddle, they'll burn. One day the bulls will be no more. But let me tell you what wise is. As you go, keep the main thing the main thing. Share your faith. Exalt the name of Jesus. And that is an unfair advantage to have a God that will bless you, enlarge your territory, and keep His hand upon you, keep you from evil, and let you cause no one pain. My biggest unfair advantage is spelled J-E-S-U-S.